Well, Chet Holmgren's injury is unfortunately more serious than we expected. He's going to miss his entire rookie season with a Liz Frank injury to his foot. More on that, what it means for him, what it means for pro-am events in general, right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome to the lockdown zags podcast part of the lockdown podcast network your team every day i am your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props more odds and more lines than ever before bet online where the game starts i also want to thank all of you who have made lockdown zags your first listen of the day I appreciate every single one of you who has put it in your routine, whether it's been for just a few weeks, a few months, an entire year, whatever it may be, it is very, very much appreciated to me. I also appreciate those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. Over 850 subscribers now trying to get to 1,000 before the start of the college basketball season. Very close. Could use your help if you are a listener and haven't done so yet. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags, find the channel, hit that big subscribe button. Very much appreciated. All right, we're sticking with Chet Holmgren today for the first couple of segments before closing out the week with a fan story Friday. Want to lighten the mood at the end of the week because it has been a bit of a bummer the last couple of days with regards to, of course, our friend and Gonzaga alumni Chet Holmgren. I talked about this on Thursday's episode. It was a long discussion about his injury that he suffered at the Jamal Crawford Crossover Pro-Am event last Saturday defending LeBron James. Successfully, I might add, I've added that a few times, but it is never included in the stories about Chet Holmgren that he stopped Chet, or he he stopped LeBron James at the rim before suffering his injury. At the time of yesterday's recording, we discussed how long he might be out, what this injury could look like, etc., etc. Very quickly, even before, shortly after the episode came out, before I had publicized the episode on social media, we learned that, unfortunately, Chet Holmgren is going to miss his entire rookie season with a list frank injury to his foot uh, general manager for the oklahoma city thunder sam presti came out and made the announcement uh, so they were very quick very immediate to make the decision that this is going to cost him an entire year uh, there's not really any positive way to look at that unfortunately i don't think that yes people have made the connection that oklahoma city is uh, continuing to tank and they are not necessarily trying to win a lot of basketball games next year and perhaps they're in on on trying to acquire victor wembayana or scoot henderson or one of the other really high profile players expected to be at the top of the draft in 2023 that's not why the thunder are opting to stop Chet Holmgren for the entire season at this point. It is very clear that they have determined that the injury he sustained is going to take at least a year or very close to a year's worth of time and rehab and rehabilitate, you know, and, and energy to to fix. And that's that sucks. <laughs> There's really not any other way way to look at it. I, I certainly the response on social media is something that uh, I talked about a lot on Thursday's podcast and will reiterate some of today. Uh, if you're the kind of person who, even if you're maybe not outwardly relishing at a 20-year-old kid suffering a season-ending injury before he's ever played in the NBA, if you're in any capacity feeling the urge to say, I told you so, or indicate, and many people who are listening to this probably are not doing that. Um, and, and I think that 
people who thought that Jabari Smith was better or that Chet Holmgren was injury prone. Like I can understand when you see him get hurt that you have that urge, but like, please stop yourself and consider what you're talking about. We're not, we're not, these are not robots. These are not, um, they're, they're athletes. They're not even like, I mean, yes, Chet Holmgren's a professional athlete, but he's 20. He can't legally drink yet. Recently, on a, on a previous episode of the podcast, when I had uh, Matt Santangelo and Shaniqua Nils from the Friends of Spike Initiative, NIL Initiative Collective for the Zags, uh, they came on. They were talking about some of the stories of events that they've put on and whatnot. And I, Shaniqua was telling a story about like having Chet calling his parents like on the drive to an event uh, to like make sure it was okay and kind of like check in with them. And it's like it's important to remember that yes, Chet Holmgren was a massive celebrity on Gonzaga's campus. He's an even bigger celebrity now. I mean, The Athletic has a section on the top of their website. They may not anymore, but they did yesterday that was just called Chet Holmgren's Injury. It was next to like MLB, NBA, soccer, Chet Holmgren's Injury. Like that is where it was being reported uh, as an entire subsection of The Athletic's website. The man is a very, very famous celebrity right now. Hard to, for some people, remember that he's 20. He's a kid. He's a kid who loves playing basketball, who went out and played basketball at an opportunity where he had already played in this venue. He had already kind of worked with the people, including Jamal Crawford and everybody else who was helping put the event on. He had the opportunity to go up against the King, against LeBron James and Jason Tatum in that same game. Who's going to say no to this? We're going to talk about this more in the second segment about what these pro-am events specifically are and how they work contractually and all of that stuff. And I do I do want to cover that because I, I, I'm fascinated by these pro-am events in general. They've seemed to really rise in popularity in the last couple of years, just as the NBA gets involved in really starting to promote them. Of course, one of their best young players suffers a season-ending injury like that's it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of proceeds and what happens from now. But really what I kind of want to talk about with Chet here in the first segment is the, the sadness that I think that we should feel about this. Uh, And again, I don't like to tell other people how to feel, but I just, I feel such sympathy for, for Chet, for his family. You know, I think I, I thought a lot yesterday about his dad who filmed every single game that he could possibly film. He brings his little camera to every game. He's putting together all of this stuff for like presumably for a documentary. I believe he has confirmed that actually, that that's kind of his, his, his vision for it. But he's been filming Chet playing basketball since like elementary school or middle school, filmed all of his high school games, filmed all of his Gonzaga games. And now they just sit for a year. I'm sure they'll do some, some rehab potentially because this is now, I mean, this is an, a huge part of the Chet Holmgren story now is that he didn't play his rookie year. It's the same story we have with Blake Griffin. It's the same story we have with Ben Simmons. And certainly the those two players' trajectories after that have gone in very interesting directions. But it is important to note that both those players came back and were successful. Like neither of them, both of them missed an entire year with an injury. And neither of them, from a physical basketball performance, were unable to reach their peak again. Now, Ben Simmons, there's a lot of other stuff there, and I don't have enough time on a Gonzaga-specific podcast to get into that, nor do I know the entire extent of that story. But but certainly from a, from a purely physical basketball perspective, Ben Simmons was very, very good after missing a year. Like, he was clearly capable of playing at a really high level and showed why he was at least in, you know, why he was a, a high-level pick. Blake Griffin... Certainly his kind of athletic peak didn't last a super long time, but he carved out an excellent, 
NBA career. Blake Griffin and Chet Holmgren are, are pretty different basketball players. Blake Griffin and, and Ben Simmons and Chet Holmgren, all three of them are very, very different basketball players. Uh, but I, I think it's worth noting that like high-level draft picks have suffered injuries where they did not play in their rookie season or they played very little in their rookie season. I believe Julius Randle played something like 10 minutes in his rookie season, something like that. That was it. And then he got hurt and missed the rest of the year. So I don't, this is not a death sentence for Chet. Uh, looking into Liz Frank injuries, uh, it's not good. They, they, I mean, they can linger. It's hard for anybody to have consistent pain and injury issues in the middle of their foot. That's a really tough place to suffer an injury. As with almost anything, it is tougher to suffer an injury when you are seven feet tall. It's just tougher. Chet's weight, Chet's frame, Chet's size, all of that stuff don't really have an impact here in the sense of how he got hurt. I I don't think that Chet being too skinny was the reason that his foot gave out while trying to defend LeBron James. Like, I don't think that those things are necessarily related. People saying, well, we knew this was going to happen. Like, how? Like this was this was a freak accident. There are high level athletes in the NFL, in the NBA and other sports that have suffered this injury and they're not tall and skinny. They don't look like that. There are six foot two running backs who are built like brick walls who have suffered the same injury. It's not related to that. So I I think that with Chet Holmgren, I just feel sad. And I know so many of you just feel sad. You feel sympathy for him. Uh, concern about whether he's going to reach his peak as an NBA player, concern about whether he's going to be, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the next Zion Williamson, which certainly there's time for Zion to turn things around as well. He's very young, but but yeah, I understand that concern. I have it too. It's really hard to see a player miss an entire year. We're not going to see Chet make his NBA debut until October of 2023. That's that's a bummer. Uh, that's really unfortunate for us as as Chet Holmgren fans, as Gonzaga fans, for NBA fans, certainly for Oklahoma City fans. Like this is something that we wanted to see. We got a glimpse in summer league. We got to see him doing the step back threes, the pull ups, stuff that we didn't see him really have in his bag at Gonzaga. And now we don't get to see that anymore. Now I know he's going to work really, really hard to get back to where he needs to be. Uh, I'm fully confident that he will do every single thing that he is capable of doing to get back to being the basketball player that he's capable of being. But these injuries are tough. Uh, and I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. And, and I don't want to come on here. I also don't want to pretend I'm a medical expert. I said that last week. I'm going to reiterate that again here. But these injuries are hard and this is going to be a long road. It's going to be a long, painful rehabilitation road for Chet Holmgren. There's no reason to believe he can't get back to where he was before, but it is far from easy. It is far from easy for Chet Holmgren. Uh, and we just, as, as Gonzaga fans, I hope that we can kind of come together and do the, the best we can to support him, to kind of talk about him and to continue to be there for him when he does come back, when he's ready to make his debut, because that's going to be quite a spectacle when he's back in October 2023 and playing, playing NBA games for the Oklahoma City Thunder for the first time. And, and I'm very excited about that, but I'm really sad that we have to wait that amount of time before we can get to get a chance to see him. Right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to stick with the big news of the day. Instead of talking about the injury specifically, we're going to talk about Pro-Am events, specifically the crossover Jamal Crawford's event, what it means for, for these kind of events when something like this happens. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but college football and the NFL are just around the corner while the WNBA playoffs are just getting started and the MLB is not far behind. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. 
BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines on coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still somewhat unfortunately discussing Chet Holmgren's season-ending list Frank injury to his right foot that he suffered on Saturday at the Jamal Crawford Crossover Pro-Am event. Uh, I want to talk about the event a little bit for those of you who, who maybe have only heard kind of what happened to Chet and maybe haven't heard that much about the event. Uh, so Jamal Crawford's been putting on this event for a while. I, I know it happened last year at Seattle Pacific as well. I think it's been happening for a few years before that. Um, and it's a basketball-specific event in the city of Seattle over the summer. These events exist far more places than just Seattle. The Drew League was a really popular one in the L.A. area. LeBron participated in that alongside DeMar DeRozan. Uh, Portland had a Pro-Am event. Kyle Wilcher hit a game-winning shot in that event. Uh, very fun video that was shared on, on, on social media if you guys have not seen it. Silas Melson participated in the Portland Pro-Am event as well. I believe Ben Gregg had some participation in some of the Pro-Am events. So these, I mean, this is just what I know locally to me. Uh, there are tons of these types of things. And Crawford obviously is a you know, borderline NBA Hall of Famer, one of the greatest sixth men of all time, an elite scoring guard. He's from Seattle, and he really has a, a tremendous footprint on the Seattle basketball scene. He, In a way, he is Seattle basketball. He kind of defines it. He runs it. He has put on charity events for decades. He has helped youth basketball players in Seattle reach their potential. Players like Martel Webster, players like Brandon Roy, uh, other players from this area who kind of came through, who maybe went to UW or who went on to have very successful careers elsewhere. Palo Bancaro, of course, is a recent example. Uh, O'Day High School in Seattle went to Duke, now you know, going to be one of the best players in the NBA. And Crawford has, has had a hand in all of that. He is instrumental. He is the heartbeat of Seattle basketball. And this, he really wanted to blow it up this year. And he had the opportunity to do it. He has connections that, that nobody else has. He's able to get LeBron James to come to Seattle for the first time in 15 years. He got Jason Tatum to come to Seattle. I don't think Jason Tatum had ever been to Seattle. Like he got these iconic NBA players to come to Seattle. And LeBron in particular was like kind of supporting the, the movement to get the NBA back to Seattle. That was a huge part of what Jamal Crawford's trying to do. He's, this, he's not hiding this. This is very transparent. He has said on, in interviews before, like, would you rather have NBA basketball back in Seattle or would you rather be in the Hall of Fame? And he would rather have basketball back in Seattle. Like, that means more to him than the individual accolade of being in the, um, being in the Hall of Fame. And so this event in particular uh, was something that, that Crawford's put together a lot of times in order to, to try to generate interest in Seattle basketball. And this year he had the ability to blow it up. He kind of, he got all these big name people. We talked about LeBron. We talked about Jason Tatum. Isaiah Thomas was there. Marjan Beauchamp was there. Obviously Chet and Paolo Bancaro were there. Uh, Duhante Murray was there. Like there's a ton of very, very good basketball players uh, in town for this event. There was four games that took place on Saturday and then just kind of a, a unique sequence of events that kind of led to, to what ended up happening. It, it sounds like there was a capacity issue, which people have brought up, like, could you have done this at Climate Pledge Arena? And Crawford has kind of acknowledged, 
I think these events are better served at smaller venues like this. It's more what the players want. It's more what the fans want. It's a more intimate atmosphere. But what happened here is they couldn't get everybody into the game because when you announced that LeBron James is coming to Seattle and he's going to be at a gym for free that people can get to pretty easily, that's going to cause a lock jam of people. There's people who waited hours and hours and hours. Again, this is not Jamal's fault, but it is an unfortunate situation that, that caused the gym to be jam-packed with people. Shortly after that, somebody pulled the fire alarm. Uh, I don't know why, I don't know who, but what happened after that is the officials helping to run the event said, hey, we want to keep the doors closed. We don't want people being able to roam in and out. We want the, we want this to feel a little bit more secure in here. So they had a packed gym, way too many people in this entire area, more than have ever really been there before, a gym that is closed, there's no air getting in and out, and then you play four basketball games, the last game being the one with LeBron, with Chet, with Pangaro. And the, the, the floor was just really, really slippery. And you watch the video of what happened to Chet Holmgren uh, and his, his defense on LeBron James. He strips the ball out. He kind of holds on to it for a little bit. He's, he slips on the floor a little bit, but it's really hard to tell how much of, of his foot moving around was him just landing on it funny versus an actual slip in the court. I don't know how much it really matters. A lot of people are trying really hard to point to that. And I understand when people are, are distressed or frustrated about something that it's easy to try to find something to blame. If we can blame the crossover pro-am for this, maybe it makes us feel better. This is their fault. It's not. It's not their fault. And I Chet wouldn't tell you that. And I don't think anybody who was there would tell you that. Yes, this game got called less than a quarter later after Chet got hurt because of the slippery floor conditions. But I don't know how much those things were necessarily related. And even if they were, Chet didn't do anything wrong. He didn't violate his contract. I think that's an important note to make. Uh, NBA contracts, pretty standard, come with a clause called love of the game. And what that clause effectively means is like, you can play basketball. <laughs> that's that's simply what it means. Like, And there there are some limitations around that. I obviously don't know the exact language in Chet Holmgren's contract, certainly. But I know that, that these events that are free, part of the reason that these events are free is because it is easier to convince professional players to play because the contract allows them to go. They're scrimmage games, basically. LeBron can go scrimmage against other NBA players whenever the hell he wants. He is absolutely allowed to do that. And he does do that. And if fans come, but if they don't have to charge, if you start charging people, then you run into some complicated legal issues. Again, I don't fully understand all of it, but what I know is that Chad Holmgren was in no way, shape, or form violating his NBA contract. I know that Jamal Crawford uh, talked about being very specific about there's unsigned guys who aren't NBA players, who are like EuroLeague guys who just haven't signed their newest contract. And Jamal told him no. He told him not to play. He said, I can't let you play if you're unsigned right now because you could you could risk your career. Like he he that was very important to him. And so for Chet Holmgren, like, yeah, this sucks that he got hurt. It sucks that he's going to miss a year of basketball, but at least it didn't happen like between the, the end of the college basketball season and the NBA draft before like the, the no man's time when he didn't have a job, when he wasn't employed, like they wouldn't have let him do that. And certainly he would not have done that. I know that, but, but this was a situation where it's a little bit safer and it's still really unfortunate. And I don't know exactly what it means for Pro-Am events going forward. Uh, there was a really good article at The Athletic. I apologize. I cannot remember who wrote the article. Uh, I will link it in the show notes, though, that talked. They basically explored this exact topic. It's like, what happens to these Pro-Am events now that Chet Holmgren has suffered this season-ending injury? And, and the article pulled quotes from a lot of different sources, including people who, who put together the Drew League and quotes from Jamal Crawford himself and quotes from other people uh, around the league and officials and the, these prime events have been going on for something like 60 years. 
in in different capacities, certainly. And only very recently has the NBA really started marketing them. Like they 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 live streamed the Drew League game between LeBron James and DeMar DeRozan. And that's new. That's not something they've done in the past. Uh, the question of whether the NBA is going to continue to financially support these types of events when the first time they really start trying to do it, Chet Holmgren gets hurt. I don't know about that. I don't know how much the NBA is going to continue to be involved, but these events aren't going anywhere. They're really fun. Uh, the, the one thing that was acknowledged in the article is that the NBA may have more oversight into the venues specifically, which is understandable. If the NBA is like, we, you, we, we know you have these love of the game clauses in your contracts. We know that you guys are going to go do these scrimmages, go do these events, go kind of play in front of fans and, and an audience like that. We want to make sure we know that the place that you're playing is safe that the court is not going to cause any problems, that the gym, you know, that the ceiling of the gym is not going to cause any problems, whatever it may be. And that I think is understandable. I also think Seattle Pacific probably would have passed had this happened before. This is a place where the Seattle, the Seattle Storm practice here, opposing teams like the Washington Mystics have been practicing here uh, while they're in town to play the Storm. Like th- this is a court that gets used by professional athletes a fair amount. So I, I don't think that that necessarily would have caused the pro-am the Seattle pro-am to be moved necessarily but it is at least something that the checks and balances aren't really there right now and I'm guessing that when the second player drafted in the in the most recent NBA draft and a guy who has been talked about since he was 15 years old and is about to make his NBA debut when he gets hurt for an entire year you can expect the NBA is probably going to do something they're at least going to look into this of like how can we not how can we prevent this from happening again but at the same time injuries happen People talk about, well, if you know, if you get hurt in the offseason, you shouldn't do whatever you were doing. Clay Thompson shredded his uh, his ankle. I mean, absolutely obliterated his his ankle just doing pull up drills. Like he took he took two dribbles, pulled up for a jump shot, and that was it. And he missed a he missed two years with ankle injuries because of that. I think it was his Achilles that he, that he ended up hurting. But like, what is he not supposed to take jump shots while working out? Like it does it doesn't. These things just happen. Freak injuries happen. And of course, the narrative about Chet Holmgren was already so negative and gross and just unpleasant to be around that it's very unfortunate that it happened to him and that the people who have that narrative can can kind of hold it up and attempt to use it to explain what happened uh, in, incorrectly, erroneously, I, w- I would add, but it is something that we have seen happen quite a bit. But the other aspect of that is people coming down really hard on these pro-am events. And I think that that is an unfortunate byproduct as well, because this is not Jamal Crawford's fault. It's not the crossover's fault. It's not LeBron James's fault. It's not Seattle Pacific's fault. You can sort of blame the person who pulled the fire alarm, but even then, I don't know how much it's that person's fault either. It's just uh, just an unfortunate confluence of events that led to Chet Holmgren suffering a season-ending injury. Uh, I hope that it doesn't impact these types of events in the future because this seemed like an extremely cool thing that Jamal Crawford worked really, really hard on. And I hope that he doesn't have to give up this kind of event going forward. All right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment. We're going to switch gears. We're going to share a fan story Friday. It's a segment I haven't done in a while. It felt right today after spending two seconds segments lamenting an injury to one of Gonzaga's favorite players, Chet Holmgren, right after this.
All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags. Switching gears here, sharing a fan story Friday for those of you who have missed this. I've been doing it periodically for the last couple of months. Uh, it's an opportunity to have the final segment of the week be a fan sharing one of their stories of like how they became a Gonzaga fan, a time that they met somebody through Gonzaga. Maybe they met Coach Few or they met a former player or maybe they met their spouse this way. They met friends, family, whatever it may be. And I wanted to kind of end the, end, the, end the show this week talking about that. So I asked for some questions. Uh, I got a few responses. I'm going to share the first one that I got today from a loyal listener who shared many, many Mailbag Monday questions. Uh, as Jacob Quarter at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. I'm just going to read the, the series of tweets that he sent me. He says, In the 2021 Final Four, Gonzaga allowed students to attend a watch party. All other teams I root for are bad. The Jets, the Kings, the Padres. Yeah, sorry, Jacob, that is rough. The Zags are my only reprieve. The game is going back and forth, and I am with my twin brother, and all I can think is, crap, I've done it again. I've jinxed another team. And when all hope seemed lost, Suggs hit that shot. The arena went into a pandemonium as we stormed the court. That had been probably, that has been and probably will be the only time I've stormed the court. That moment, I truly felt I was a part of the Gonzaga family. All the pain I've dealt with from that past year evaporated for the briefest moment. In that moment, as I'm laying down on the court, I was truly happy. I hope that I can one day feel that happy again. This is a wonderful story, Jacob. Thank you so much for sharing. I think uh, an entire montage or a collection of people's stories about the Jalen Sugg shot would be fascinating to me. I think that Jacob tied it together nicely with something that I hadn't really put together all that much or thought about, but... For Gonzaga fans in particular, I mean, we're talking, this happened less than a year after the initial wave of COVID hit the United States in March of 2020. We're talking about May of 2021. It had been barely a year. That whole season had been marred by COVID. You could not watch a single basketball game that year without it being either explicitly discussed by the announcers or plainly visible because there was no crowd at the games. Uh, it was it was a tough season. It was a beautiful season of basketball. Jalen Suggs was incredible. Uh, Corey Kisper, Joel Iai, Drew Timmy. I mean, that was a, an incredible team. One of the most fun teams in Gonzaga basketball history, perhaps the most fun team in Gonzaga basketball history. But watching those games will forever be a reminder of where we were at the time. Forever a reminder. Every single game that we watch, if we do rewatch parties for those games, will it will be immediately evident. There are no fans in the, in the stands. There's nobody there. And that's tough. It's, it's not a fun time. I don't think anybody had like a blast through that entire time. And so everybody's got some, some, some trauma, some, you know, adverse feelings about what happened at that time. And so that shot really helped a lot of people kind of feel whole again, feel normal again, feel happy again for, for, for the first time in a long time. And I think that that's a beautiful story to be able to share that, to be able to talk about that. I think there are some people who has probably helped immeasurably some people who it was just like a brief reprieve from the kind of nightmare that was happening at the time. Uh, certainly we're, we're in a better spot now in some ways, in some ways, not so much. We're not going to dig too far into all of that, but Gonzaga basketball at its core should be uh, something that is a kind of a bit of an escape from from real life for people and for it to have manifested itself in this story here and in many other stories much like it I think is 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 proof that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and if that's what you're getting out of Gonzaga basketball uh, even if the emotional fraud of like losing to Arkansas like that sucks and that feels terrible uh, but I'd rather feel that than just like doom and gloom in, in regular life at least so it's nice to see people being able to share stories about like how much 
Jalen Suggs hitting a shot really meant to them in that moment uh, just because of where we were as, as a country at the time. All right, that is going to do it for me today and for this week. Programming note, the podcast is down to three times per week for the rest of August and all of September. Still plenty of great content. We got a guest lined up for next week that I'm very excited about already right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!